Well, so we're continuing this series because multiplication is really such a big deal with God. It, it, is, it is, you know, and we call it multiplication. I don't think God calls it multiplication anywhere. But it, God is continually proclaiming salvation. He's continually inviting people into relationship with himself. And we're still in Genesis chapter 17. And in Genesis chapter 17, where we're talking about the covenant, it is a really big deal. I mean, this multiplication idea gets mentioned 13 times in Genesis chapter 17. 13 times. And in just a few verses talking about Abraham, it says this. Let me say, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 2, it says, I will greatly increase your numbers. Genesis 17, 4 and 5 says, I, you will be a father of many nations. Genesis 17, 6 says, I will make you very fruitful. Not just fruitful, but very fruitful. Genesis 17, 6 says, I will make nations of you. And again, Genesis 17, 6 says, kings will come from you. So, so this idea of God making covenant with Abraham has this idea of, I'm going to make you abundant. I'm going to make you the father of nations. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to multiply you. That's the word I'm using. And that kind of thing. So we have that concept. And yet once in a while, when we talk about multiplication, when we talk about we're going to reach people, when we talk about we want to grow, we want to proclaim the business of God and Christ and gospel and all that kind of stuff, sometimes we get into some funny kind of feelings about that. We, we get in some weird places, and I don't know what all that is, and I suppose if I sat and asked with you, how do you feel about this and that and the other thing? If it came to multiplication, about sharing your faith, about leading people to Christ, we all go, oh, well, we get ham and haw. We say, what would, what would you feel like? And we said, you know, we'd like to see the church grow. We'd like to see lots of people in church. We Sometimes we ham and haw about that, but we need not, because God is about reaching people for Christ. He's drawing people to himself in relationships. So I just ask you, if I were to tell you, and I am, that God wants to use you to impact the lives of others, what would you say? How would you feel? Don't answer that question. Just give me a chance. If I told you, and I am, that God here, just hear this. This is, this is a really good line. That God wants to start generations, wants to start generations of Christ followers through you, what would you say? How would you feel about that? I mean, just go back and think about this. Think about where you came from. Think about who's coming after you. And you see, I look back at my own family, and I remember I was at a retreat for my father's side of the family, and I heard stories I'd not heard about. You know, three or four generations back, my great-great-grandfather, right out of the Civil War, didn't know what he was going to do with his life, but he'd, he'd come to find Christ in the midst of the war, and he came out of that, and he, he was a Methodist, and, and he found a, an, old, an old train. You know, you know how the boxcar trains? And he said, I'm going to start a church, and he just started a church in Iowa or somewhere there, in Indiana or somewhere. Anyway, just started a church in a boxcar, Right, right after the Civil War. And that, that's kind of where we began. And out of that, I have, we have generations of not just Christ followers, but generations of pastors and missionaries that have come out of that kind of history. Generations of that. that uh, the Lord here is talking to Abraham about generations of impact, of drawing people to himself. It, that hasn't changed. God hasn't changed how he does that kind of stuff. And you think about the same thing. I, as a pastor, I probably keep track of this stuff a little more than some of you. But, but I know people that I won to Christ 
in my very first church, and I go back now and I see not only is the, is the little girl that we won through vacation Bible school a Christ follower, but her mother is, and her, and her father, and her well, the little girl's father was, and, and her siblings are, and now some of them are into ministry, and their kids are looking at ministry, and you look at, I'm getting old, that's to tell you I'm getting old when we are now generations down the road here, but you know, I think generations, Christ wants to start generations of Christ followers through you, okay? That's multiplication. That, that's kind of cool. So, but the reality is that sometimes we respond to that kind of concept almost in the same way that Abraham did. When, when God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. It's not Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to send you out all over the world. You know what Abraham did? He laughed. Abraham laughed. He said, how can this be? That's crazy. That's not possible. And, and some of us say the same kind of thing. We almost laugh at God, or, or you're laughing at me when you say, I could never do that. That's not in my personality. said, I, we couldn't do that. that. That's just not part of how we are and how we think about life anymore. Well, yes, it is. I'm sorry, but laugh if you want. But, but God's not laughing about that stuff because it is part of his character to draw us into relationship with himself. That, that's what he is. Just listen to some passages of Scripture. They're going to be up on the screen, I think. Are they up there? John three sixteen. We know this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, remember this is a very inclusive, we talked about that before, this is a very inclusive kind of covenant, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's John three sixteen seventeen. 17, we don't read quite as much. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. How many of the world think that's why God came? That is not why God came. God did not come to condemn, but he came that to save the world through him, through Jesus Christ. We, you understand that? And we even hate that word saved. I don't need to be saved. Well, I didn't use the word. The gospel did. I'm just repeating what the gospel said. You get saved. That means, you know when you're saved, you know what it means? If you're not saved, what are you? You're lost. You're not saved. I guess that's the opposite of saved is not saved. Okay. Well, we won't even go there. Okay. Okay. Luke, Luke 14, we have this wonderful parable about, about Jesus is proclaiming this idea of of what is the kingdom like? And, and Jesus has come proclaiming the kingdom and the people who should have received the kingdom message rejected it. And so he tells them this parable about this wedding feast and the people that were invited to the wedding feast said, no, I'm too sorry, I, I'm too busy, I've got other things to do, I've got to take care of this, I've got to take care of that. Uh, tell them I, I can't make it, I can't be a part of this kind of thing. And, and the, the master goes ballistic over this stuff. He said, this can't be. So we get to this passage of scripture. That's all that happened before this verse. The master said, go out quickly in the streets and the alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out on the roads and the country lanes, the highways and byways, as we learned in the King James Version. Go out on the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so my house will be full. Don't get embarrassed about saying you want God's house to be full. That's what he wants, right? Okay, you're very quiet here. But listen, this verse is full of amazing... I don't even have time to go through all this, but this is full of amazing kinds of things. This is to say, all the people who should have responded, all the people who were invited, all the people who had some sense of all this, 
said, I can't make it. I'm not interested. I'm too busy for this. I've got another kind of lifestyle. I can't do this. And he said, go out and what? Highways and byways. Okay, you know what you got here? You've got the crippled, the lame, the blind. These are people who are continually marginalized in our society, continually pushed aside because they don't qualify. Because you know what? In that society, and not necessarily too much unlike ours, if you have some ailment like that, they assume there was something wrong with you. So it's this massively come on in kind of concept. Then you go out in the highways and byways. Who's out in the highways and the byways? Well, the poor. The, the, the people that don't count. I mean, he's, he's going out and saying, strangers, aliens, people you don't know. They're invited in. You, you understand how, in, this is an amazing passage that talks about how the gospel is for everybody. And we have a, a responsibility in the sense, one, a responsibility not to be the first group. Because guess what? We're the first group. The people that got invited the first time, we're people who raised in this stuff, Right? We know this. We should respond to this. We should be people that say, yeah, I love the gospel. I'm ready to go. And too often we say, "Uh, too busy, Uh, not really politically correct, Uh, not going there. Okay? Our first responsibility is don't be in the first group. Our second responsibility is, you know what? Reach out to everybody around you. There's everybody. Whosoever will. Right? We used to sing that song, whosoever will. Okay? That, okay, okay, enough of that. Okay, so we're going to. Okay, next verse. Matthew 27, 28, Matthew 28. You know this one, Jesus says at the end of his time, you know what, if you're at the end of your experience with somebody, you're not saying stupid stuff, right? You're saying the important stuff at the end. If you're leaving on a trip and you're, you're not say, anticipating seeing these people for a long time, you're going to talk about important stuff. You're not going to talk about the fact that the University of Arizona came back from way behind and won their football game last night because that's just stupid stuff. You're going to talk about the important stuff, but I had to say that because, you know. Okay, so you're going to talk about the really important stuff. So here we are at the end of time. Jesus is talking about important stuff, and he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you, and I surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I have to finish my sermon on time, so I've got to read like that. So this, this is a huge passage of Scripture. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. But you're at, the end, you're at the end of your time, and you're communicating with somebody, and you're saying, what's the most important thing? I'm telling you what's really important. What's he saying? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. You know what you've got to do to be baptized and be a disciple? You've got to choose to be a Christ follower. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? There's something to this. So we're going to get back to this. We're going to talk about this again. Okay, the next one. Uh, oh, the next one. This is, this is, this is the, the early church. See, the early church proclaimed Jesus is gone, but he's coming again. And the early church began to panic. Okay, we've had, you know, 30, 40 years go by, and he's not come by. What's the deal? Where is he coming? And, and, and here's the verse we have, Second Peter. Peter writes to the church, and he says, The Lord is not slow, because these people are saying, What in the world's going on? Why hasn't he come? What's the deal? And he says, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. He is going to come back, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you. It's interesting that he says he's patient with you, (laughs) not patient with the world, but he's patient with you. So be careful. Again, you don't want to be in the you. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You You hear this verse? He wants everyone to come to repentance. This is the heart of God. From, from the very beginning of Revelation to, I mean, excuse me, from Genesis to Revelation, it, it is the heart of God drawing people to himself. You, you get this? This is what's going on. So, so this is the deal. 
I, I want to I just share with you a couple thoughts out of, out, of, uh, out of Genesis chapter 17. Because sometimes we, we hear this idea of multiplication, we're thinking, oh, no, not multiplication. And we hear people like, we want, I, I tell people, you know, we want, I want to see my, does anybody want to see your church packed out? Wouldn't it be fun to come to church on some morning and Sunday morning here in the 9 o'clock service and not be able to find a seat? Is that a good thing? Yes, that's a good thing. Okay, but you know how that happens. Okay, and I'm not preaching this today, but you know how that happens. It's us. We're going we're to get there. But, but sometimes we get uncomfortable with that. You say, well, you just want a big church? Well, yeah, I do want a big church. I'm sorry. Because you know what that means? We're reaching people for Christ. I don't want a bunch of people. I want to reach people for Christ. Right? So anyway, let me tell you three things. First thing is this. Multiplication is not primarily about you. It's not primarily about you. It, it, it involves you, but it's not primarily about you. Because you go through this whole process, and what we understand is that God identifies himself as El Shaddai. That means he is God Almighty, all-powerful. I can do the impossible. That's the kind of God I am, and that kind of God, I say to you that you are going to be the father of nations. I say to you that you're going to be fruitful beyond what you could ever imagine. I say to you that your wife, who is barren, 90 years old, never had a child, is going to have a child by this time next year. That's when Abraham or Abraham started to laugh. He's saying that. But it is El Shaddai that makes that happen. He says over and over again. He's not saying, uh, Abraham, you're going to go out and do this. See, Abraham tried to do that in the chapter before, in chapter 16. Tried to do that with Ishmael, with the Hagar. That, that was their, their attempt to make it happen. But God is saying, I am going to do this. I will make you the father of nations. I will make you fruitful. I will do this. And, and the same thing is true for us. And when we think about multiplication, too often we think, I can't do it. And you're right, you can't do it. But it is God who says, I will help you. I will go before you. I will multiply you. I will make it happen. This God Almighty, God El Shaddai, all-powerful, able to do all things, that God is the same God who will multiply. It's not about us. He uses us for some strange reason. He does use us, but it's not primarily about us. It is about God and his activity. Okay? That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Multiplication changes our perspective on the world and on ourselves. You get this. You see, after, after God had said this to, to Abram, he said something else to him. He says, I'm going to change your name. This was the sign of a different kind of covenant. This was another sign of those things. There's something different. You're not going to be the same people that you used to be. You, you used to be Abram and Sarai, but, but now you're going to be Abraham and Sarah. Those are very different kinds of things. They're going to be different. In, in, in Abraham's culture, this, a name change meant something. It, it usually meant that there was going to be some change in their character, that they had said some kind of change in their character or that they themselves saw that there was a different destiny waiting for them. And such is the case with Abraham. And they're there and Abraham, Abraham, the name Abram meant exalted father and the name Abraham means the father of multitudes, to father multitude. 
And, and, and you see, one of them, one of them looks back, says, exalted father, and one of them looks forward, the father of multitudes. One of them looks back at what has passed away. I'm no longer that guy. I'm no longer Abraham, Abram. I'm now Abraham. There, there's something different. <coughs> and, the, and the point is that God is making, there's a change in purpose and plan in their lives. Every time Abraham heard his name said or said it himself, it reminded him that there was a new covenant that he was living under. There was something different. I have a different purpose, a different plan, and a different destiny in my life. There's something different because it is God's divine plan to redeem the world. It is God's plan to reach the world. It is God's plan to multiply. It is God's plan to, to bless the world and all nations through the line of Abraham. You understand that this is this chain that God has of redeeming people to himself. And certainly that's the way the gospel writers and the writers of scripture saw that. You look back in the gospel of Matthew, you know what the first chapter of Matthew does? It's another one of those really odd passages of scripture. It's just genealogy. You know, this person begat this person, begat that person, begat this person. It it is 16 verses of who's your daddy. And, and it's just right down the line. I mean, it's just on and on and on until you get to verse 17. And in verse 17, it says, and there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David and 14 generations from David to the exile and 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah, to Christ. You see, the writer of of Matthew, this Matthew guy, he understood there's something that started with Abraham, this promise to bless the nations, to draw people to God through the seed of, of Abraham. There was something already part of that covenant that said, out of Abraham, the Messiah is going to come. And Matthew takes great pains to give this whole long history and lineage of, of how Christ is this in fulfillment out of Abraham and this covenantial promise that we have. You understand this? This is, I mean, it's a little thing, but it's huge. It's a little bit, it's huge all the time. Well, you just walk through this line because what you end up with is you end up with this idea that the gospel writers saw that there was something in Jesus that fulfilled this Abrahamic promise, covenant back here. And you go through and say, Something's different. We've got this message in Christ and Christ came and then, and then the message of Christ transferred into the disciples and, and what they did and how they lived their lives. It's kind of amazing. You think about, uh, you know, in, in Peter, he was talking about when the, the Jewish leaders commanded Peter to no longer speak in Acts chapter 4. He's saying, you, you can't talk about this Jesus anymore. You, you, can't, you can't be somebody who says that. You can't go there and because he just healed this guy, and, and, and they said, no, wait, what's going on? You can't do that. And Peter says to them, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There, there's something that says this, this whole process of God, he's redeeming the world. I can't, I can't not talk about that. I can't not talk about this plan of God. I can't not talk about what God has done in my life. I can't not do that. I have to do that. And Paul certainly felt the same way. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 14 and 16, Paul says, I am obligated 
I am obligated both to the Jew and the non, or the Greeks and the non-Greeks, to the wise and the foolish. He says, because I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. See, Paul had that concept to say, my life has changed. I, I'm not the same guy. You know what? I had a name change. <laughs> I used to be Saul, and now I'm Paul. <laughs> the same is true for us. As Christians, we are Christ followers. We're no longer just David. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and and my life is different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We're not the same people we used to be. And like Paul, we have an obligation, if I can say this, to speak like with Peter, of what we have seen and heard. That's it. That's all. And it changes how we think about the world. Just like it changed Abraham and his perspective on himself and the world around him, it changes us when we recognize, I'm a Christ flower. I have a different set of priorities. I have a different set of mindset about what's going on in the world around me. I've got a different kind of relationship with the people around me because... I'm part of God's redemptive plan for the world. And that's different. Well, the third thing I think we learn about this is is that multiplication is about being present with God in your world. Just being present with God in your world. Sometimes when we think about this idea of multiplication, we make it way, way, way too complicated. Way too complicated. I mean, I've been in massive classes, and we do this and that and this thing. We go... It, it, it just, it doesn't need to be that complicated. Good to know some stuff, but it doesn't need to be that complicated. We make it too complicated. Because I, I believe that it is most clearly expressed when we are simply present with God in our world. We're just present with God in our world. See, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he just walked with God. He didn't have a program. He didn't have a plan. He just walked with God. And stuff happened. He walked with God. And Isaac was born. The promise was fulfilled. He trusted God. And he was willing to even lay down his very dream of what the fulfillment of the promise itself would be. Remember that story? That's in Genesis 19. And God provided a sacrificial lamb. He just walked with God. He just went down through life. And the same is true with us. If, if it's, just, it's just us, if we just, you and I, me and, me and you, you and I, I and you, whatever. It's just living in our world intentionally conscious, intentionally conscious of God's presence and readily participating in his activity that brings multiplication. Let me read that one more time because that's in your notes. It says, it is you and I living in our world intentionally conscious of God's presence and readily participating in his activity that brings multiplication. That's it. It's just live your life mindful of God. Just live your life like you're an ambassador of Christ. Just live your life like I'm here and God's here and what's he want to do? Just live your life constantly with that kind of mindset. That's what Jesus did, remember? 
Jesus was just walking down the road. The guys had been out. They'd been out trooping around. They're talking to people, healing people, doing all this kind of stuff. They're tired. They go into town to get something to drink. Jesus stops, enters into a conversation with a lady at the local Starbucks. Well, maybe not Starbucks. At the well. And suddenly, this lady's life has changed. The whole town has changed. Because they had a big campaign and program. It was just Jesus walking through his day. Stopped for something to drink. Initiated conversation. What's up? That worked. Jesus was traveling along the road. One more time, he's going from point A to point B. No big plans, just walking along. Here comes a man who says, Jesus, my son, he needs healing. Could you do something for him? Well, now that you ask, yes, I could. Just doing life, going along. You know what got Peter and John into trouble? Going to church. They were just on their way to church, and they passed by a guy who said, give me something. They said, oh. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Well, the leaders didn't like that. They didn't get up that morning and think, let's go find a crippled guy so we can heal him. They said, let's get up and go to church, see what God's doing. And they just got up and went. You understand? It's a subtle difference, but it's a way we think about how we do life. Just kind of mindful of God along the way. Philip was going along the road. Heard a little prompting from the Holy Spirit. Go over and see that guy. Okay, I'm just going along my business. Walks over and starts walking alongside the chariot. Here's this Ethiopian guy talking God, maybe that's why you sent me over here. Ask the guy, you know anything you're reading about? How can I know unless somebody tell me? Well, I'm here. Let me tell you. And he starts from where he was at and began to walk him through Scripture to explain Jesus. Just going about life. Paul did the same stuff. Going into a city. I'm going to go down by the riverbank because, you know, this looks like a good place where people would gather to pray. Hanging out. Sure enough, here comes a few ladies. Begins a conversation, and before you know it, what have you got? You've got Lydia and the church of Philippi. Right? Doing the same thing. He's walking through town, comes to a center, a plaza. There are people everywhere. There's gods here, and there's statues of this god and statues of that god, and there's, suddenly there's a statue with no name on it. He says, what's this all about? And they tell him, well, this is, the, this is the statue that covers all the gods, the one with no name. And he says, I know that God. It's Jesus. They put it out there. I thought I'll just have a conversation about it. And suddenly you have a church in Athens. You know, it's just, it's just going about life, listening and watching for God's activity. That's what we do. You know the passage of Scripture we talked about, Matthew 28? It's an it's a amazing passage of Scripture. He says, go and make 
disciple. But you know what it literally says? Literally it says, as you are going, make disciples. It wasn't like, well, I'm staying home and I'm not doing anything. Oh, I guess I need to go. No, the assumption was, as you are going, as you're walking through life, as you're going where you go, what you do, how you live your life, what you're doing, as you're on your way, make disciples. That, that's a huge concept. Just be there, be present with God in those processes. So two things that let me tell you about that. First thing is just really simply this. Speak what you know. Just speak what you know. Too often we're afraid. I don't know what to say. People are going to laugh at me. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Well, they're going to. Get over it. Because the thing is, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know all of theology. You don't have to know all this stuff that's going on. All you have to do is say, you know, you're like the blind guy who said, I don't know whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. All I know is this. Once I was blind and now I see. Right? That, that's what, just speak what you know. What do you know? I don't know much. I just know that I used to be like this and now I'm like this. Something happened in my life. I, I got a change of heart. I got a, a change of perspective. I, something's going on. I don't know what it is, but this Jesus guy, he's doing something in my life. Yeah? A few of you are nodding your head. Just talk about what you know. You don't have to talk about what you don't know. What you don't know, you just say, I don't know. People are afraid to say, I don't know. I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. I don't know a lot of things. I don't know. Just talk about what you do know. You know I'm a different person because of Jesus Christ. Second thing is this, is just live it where you live. Live it where you live. And, and sometimes we get... We kind of think like, well, it's church, and so if I can just get my friends here to church, if I can do that, I get them to church, and we'll get them all saved, and I'll live my stuff here. But let me just tell you, that, that it, it, yeah, that's good. I want them here. I'm going to share the gospel every Sunday. I try to tell people, you know, hey, you can come to know Jesus. It's simple. It's good. But you know what? You just have to live this stuff where you live. We really are salt and light in the world. And not just when we go down to, you know, do a short-term mission trip or not when we spend a couple hours in the inner city doing compassionate ministry, folks. It is 24-7. Just live it where you live. God is at work where you live. You may think, oh, God wouldn't be at work here. Yes, he is. He is. He's everywhere. He's right where you are most of the day. And, And, you know, this study that Beverly was telling you about is exactly what we're talking about. You know that you have 160 hours that you're not here a week, at least? I think my math is right on that. Somewhere around 160 hours that you're not in church. I'll give you off, you know, eight hours a day. I'll subtract that down a little bit. The rest of that time, you're just out doing life. You're at work, you're at the grocery store, you're having fun, you're doing whatever you do. Guess what? God's out there. And multiplication is just saying, I'm available. I'm available. I'm mindful of God 24-7. I don't have to have a major plan. I don't have to have a major strategy. I just have to live my faith where I'm at. Right? Yes? Just be available. Just be available. Don't have to do anything crazy, crazy. Just be available. Have the conversation. Watch what he's doing. Jump in. Right? 
See, it's, it's that stuff of just living it where we live. So again, one more plug. If you're not involved in a life group doing this study, we want you to get plugged in. There's a table out there. Beverly will be out there. Somebody will be out there anyway. They'll help you get plugged in. They'll help you get the materials you need. If you want to start one with your own friends, do that kind of stuff, do that. But beyond that, I want to take a moment to just talk to you real briefly about, about something else we do in our congregation that's pretty cool, about, that circles around this side. See, because living out our faith is just not what adults do. It's what kids do as well. And, and, and the whole idea of this is it's just how do we help our kids learn to just live out their faith? How do we help our kids make it practical? And, and one of the ways we do that is through a program called Care Events. I'm going to invite, uh, there she is, <laughs> Janet. Janet Crow is the director of our Caravan programs. But, you know, one of the things, that, come on up here. One of the things I really like about Caravans is that it helps our children understand what it is to just practically live their faith out in life. Tell us a little bit about Caravan. I was listening and thinking that 15 years ago, I think it's been that, when I got involved in Caravan, it was a lot because of what Pastor's talking about. Because I realized my gift was with kids, but that I really wanted kids to be able to understand that when we have Christ in our heart, it affects us in everything that we do. So that uh, when you look at the Caravan program, it is a program that looks at the physical, at the spiritual, at the mental, and the social. And I just want to give you an example of each of those and something that our, some, each of our kids, we do badges. So um, here's an example, a physical badge. Um, one would be the sports badge. And we talk to our kids about when you're in a sporting event and you have Christ in your heart, you look different on the field. You act differently. You interact differently with your coaches, with your other kids, with the other teams. So we talk about that as we're learning to do physical things. In our spiritual badges, there's one we do that's on prayer. And I love my kids when we've done this. We've done a week of prayer, we call it, where Each day of the week, we pray for somebody else or for a teacher or for the president or whatever. We've even had one of our little girls, we wrote a letter to one of the people that we were praying for. She wrote a letter to the president, and she got a letter back. Um, So that was really neat. Um, In our mental badges, there's one called media and technology. And kids learn not only how to use media, but what we can do with media to really let people know about things or let them know about um, things in, in our world, in our, in our life, but from a Christ-like perspective. In our social badges, one that we do is called hospitality. And we learn not just to be hospitable in our home, but what is it to have a welcoming spirit about us, that we are a hospitable people, that when Christ is in us, we welcome people, whether it's church, our home, in our lives. So um, I just that's a flavor of what we do each week. We are actually starting tonight. I know that some of you have kids or grandkids that are ages age four to sixth grade. So if that's something that what you've just heard is something you would like for kids in your lives to be a part of, please have them join us tonight at 6 o'clock. It's during Mission at 6. It's during Bible studies. It's during Financial Peace. There's lots of things going on so kids can be brought or you can go over to Starbucks or someplace and have a coffee while they're here. Um, but we'd love to have them um, learn how to live out their faith. They don't go to work. So they can't do Jesus at work, but their school and their life and their sport fields, that's their work. And so they are very much a part of what we're talking about. Amen. Good. Now, so that starts tonight, 6 o'clock. And do they have to do anything special? They can just show up. Show up, 6 to 
7.15, so we get out in time for you to get home, get ready for school, okay. and um, you have to just come. And anybody can come. Anybody Don't can have to be come. a member of our church. They, that's true, and part of the multiplication of this is we encourage kids to bring their neighbors, their friends, classmates, schoolmates, uh, I mean, their sportsmates, whatever, because it really is for anybody. And you have from age... What four. Age, age four, four. Every group, Benson's every year. It's a, every year it's its own kind of group <laughs> right. all the way up through sixth grade. Sixth grade. And Good. a whole host of team mentors that also help us. All right. Good. Thank you. This is something that uh, I, I want to encourage you. If you've got kids or grandkids, uh, jump into this. It's, it's well worth it. Amen? So all, all this said is that what I've been trying to say to you is that, is that God is constantly at work around us. All the time. He's always at work around us. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it by just watching and being willing to participate with him. That's multiplication. It's just living what we know out there. Amen?